Welcome to the Learn, Liken, and Lift podcast. I'm your coach, Carrie Hickenlooper. Let's get started. Episode 161, We Trust in Our God. Welcome to summer. At least it's been one week of summer vacation here. How are you doing? (laughs) We're doing good. I'm not wigging yet. The kids are getting along like typical. So I think it's going okay. And speaking of summer, if you have a young woman or a granddaughter that is of the age between 14 and 18, and if you are interested in having her be a part of my summer young women group coaching, please check out my Instagram. Go to Carrie Hickenlooper Coaching and just learn about the coaching program that I offered this summer. And you can find more details out and learn how you can sign up for that. But today we're going to focus on Helaman and his army. We call them the stripling warriors, but Helaman called them his sons because they were young and they had actually chosen Helaman to be their leader. And he felt this stewardship over them because they had offered themselves up as a solution to help their parents not break their covenants. And Helaman's fondness for these young men, plus the attributes that they possessed, it made them worthy to be called his sons. But let's just take a moment to remember who their actual parents were. Their parents were the anti-Nephi-Lehi's, who were the descendants of Laman. Remember, they came to a knowledge of Jesus Christ through the missionary efforts of Ammon and his brethren. And they had come to know that the traditions of their fathers were not only incorrect, but they were wicked. And that through reading the scriptures, they learned of their lineage, that they were children of the Abrahamic covenant, that they were children of a promised people, people that God promised that he would always be with as long as they were obedient and faithful to his commandments. And this truth and this knowledge of Jesus Christ and his atonement and the plan of salvation, this is what led the Lamanites into the waters of baptism. And it caused them to forsake their wicked traditions and to actually bury their weapons of war. And in so doing, they made a covenant that they would never take up weapons against a brother again. And they saw all as their brethren. And this repentance process, it didn't come without a significant effort on their part. They put their all into this process. And finally, they received a softening of their heart and a removal of their guilt. And they knew that God was back in their midst, that the curse of God had been removed from them. And they no longer desired to offend God. And they were a 100% true to their faith sort of people. Even when the Lamanites came and slaughtered them several times, they would go out and lay themselves upon the ground and gave absolutely no resistance to fight against their brethren or to try and shield themselves or protect their lives. They sacrificed their lives so that they could stay true and and even praised God in the midst of perishing. And each time they did so, and though many perished, more Lamanites were converted. And they too began to go through this process of repentance. And in order to protect the anti-Nephi-Lehi's and to support them in their covenants, the Nephites had taken them in and they had given them the land of Jershon. 
and they even promised to protect them. But during this 26th year of the reign of the judges, the anti-Nephi-Lehi's, they began to waver on this covenant. So why at this point in time were they about to break their covenant? Why were they thinking about taking up arms and fighting beside the Nephites? And as I reread the chapters to answer this question, I observed a few facts that were happening that may have contributed to them starting to believe that breaking their covenant may be the right thing to do, the necessary thing to do even. First, at this point, we need to realize that the Nephites have been fortifying and fighting for eight years. I mean, just look backward for a minute and go back eight years. How old were you then? How old were your children? What were what was happening eight years ago? And then I want you to realize that from that point on, that's how long the Nephites have been engaged somehow in war. Was it easy for the anti-Nephi-Lehi's to watch the Nephites die or be wounded on their behalf while they didn't fight beside them? And the anti-Nephi-Lehi's, they had been relocated again to the city of Zarahemla so that they could more easily stay out of harm's way. And though they worked hard to produce provisions and to sustain their protectors, being in Zarahemla, it probably gave them a front row seat to a different sort of contention that was happening. And that is the inner chaos that occurred when Pahoran was made the governor over the Nephites, the chief judge. There were men who were called kingmen who desired to have a king for their government. And these king men were men of high birth and they wanted to dethrone Pahoran. But a vote is taken among the people and they choose to keep the government the same. But during this conflict, while Moroni is having to take down the, the kingmen's insurrection, because even after the cause was voted down, they refused to take up arms and they were happy that the Lamanites were coming upon them. So during this distraction, that's when Amalekiah is able to lead his army in. And that's when he's able to start taking these fortified cities of the Nephites. And all the while, the anti-Nephi-Lehi's are watching all of this. And I'm sure that they were feeling hopeless, maybe even a little disappointed in the wavering and the contentions of the Nephites, maybe seeing that they're not valuing their liberty and exercising their faith. And they're seeing this attack from within and they're aware of the attack from without. And I wonder if they just began to believe they weren't doing enough for the cause of liberty, which then causes me to think, is there ever a good time to abandon a covenant that you've made with God? Is there ever a circumstance that justifies that choice? Helaman didn't think so. He begged the people to keep their covenant. Even when seven cities that had been fortified fell to the Lamanites, Helaman knew that the state of the anti-Nephi-Lehi souls before God was more critical. Even when it appeared that the Lamanites had numberless hosts available to them, Helaman persuaded the people to stay true. In fact, Helaman believed that their commitment to their covenant would only strengthen the Nephite army to not experience more suffering because they were being true and faithful to their covenant. Isn't that powerful? Helaman's faith knew that the Nephites needed a group of people who were 100% committed to righteousness. And he knew that that commitment to righteousness would only 
benefit the Nephites. It would save them. He knew it would take work and he needed the anti-Nephi Lehi's to hold that ground. We're all, we're all so accustomed to solving our problems with our intellect or our physical strength. And there may be some, and there may be some of us who mistakenly believed that the anti-Nephi Lehi's, that they had it pretty good, that all they had to do was just, you know, live in peace and bliss while everyone around them did the hard work and the sacrifice. But when we do this, we greatly underestimate the power that righteous people among us the grace that we received because of them. And I also believe that the anti-Nephi-Lehi's, they were called to exercise great constraint and to mourn with those that mourn and not be distracted by the battle cries. And I don't believe that their position was easy. But the anti-Nephi-Lehi's, they had sons who never had to go through the repentance process like their parents did, who they didn't need to make the same covenant. And they were courageous and they were unafraid of death, even though they had never fought before. And they asked the prophet to be their leader and to lead them into battle. Can you imagine? And I think you can, because I believe that is exactly what President Nelson has spiritually been doing with our youth. He is asking them to have courage and to be a part of the Lord's battalion. He is calling them to stay true to their covenants and to not forsake them. He is trying to teach them their value as righteous youth. So the sons of the anti-Nephi-Lehi's, they entered into their own covenant. They covenanted to fight for the liberty of the Nephites and to protect the land, even unto laying down their own lives for this cause. Can you imagine such youth? And their faith in God was such that they 100% believed that God was with them and that he wouldn't suffer for them to fall. Can you imagine? And so when battles looked daunting and they appeared to not only be outnumbered, but severely lacking in strength compared to their opponent, what would they say in the moment? They said, let's go forth. I think this is what we need to teach our youth. Good grief, I think this is what we need to model for our youth, like the anti-Nephi-Lehi's did for their sons. We need to show that, number one, there's never a good reason to break our covenant with God. And number two, we need to practice, practice, practice until it is in our DNA. We need to practice the spiritual mindset that God is with us. So let's go forth. Because we know this mentality, this mindset came from their parents. We love the scripture that says that they had been taught by their mothers that if they did not doubt, God would deliver them. And they rehearsed unto me the words of their mothers saying, we do not doubt that our mothers knew it. But what were those words? Were they words of watching their king and his household be overcome by the spirit as if they were dead? Then days later, come to and stand before them and testify of Jesus Christ and his redemption? Did they tell them that story? Did the mother speak of their heart stirring and their yearnings to be changed and to be made clean, just like their king had experienced? Did they teach from the scriptures and then point out the scriptures in which the spirit spoke to them of their identity and testified of the possibility of being made clean, convincing them of their wicked ways? 
No doubt they prophesied to their children, and the spirit of prophecy filled their children's hearts and minds with clearness of who they were and whose they were, that though they were young, they could be undaunted, that they could obey with exactness every command that Helaman gave them, that they were able to stir up Helaman's courage and convince the prophet of God that God is there for them and that God won't permit them to fall. Their mothers did know it. And they lived it. They knew that revelation and prophecy and miracles were happening in their lifetime. And that because of their identity and their covenant to obey God, even if they were killed, they could never be taken captive. Never. Because the hand of those who might slay them or take their lives did not determine the eternal destiny of theirs. God does. And they knew that they could be saved. They knew it. Remember, their mothers were among those who prostrated themselves upon the ground, maybe even with their young sons in their arms. They knew that God worked miracles because of the degree of faith that they were willing to exercise. And they knew, as sure as they knew that the sky is blue, that God would intervene if that was his will. And if not, so be it. That was their mindset. If not, so be it because they would be found happy in his midst one day because no one could take that away from them except their own disobedience. And then look at the type of youth that their faith produced. So Helaman takes this army of his and we have five years of their victories and their hardships and we learn from their And we learn from their various battles, battles in which they were eventually able to rid the entire area that they covered. They were able to rid it of all the Lamanites. We learn of the various strategies that we can spiritually apply to ourselves and also our youth. And again, the first two are keep your covenants and believe that the Lord is with you. But but we also have a few more. The third one being expect miracles to happen. Does that sound familiar? It should because that is what President Nelson has asked us to do. And that is exactly what the army of Helaman expected. The fourth strategy for fighting our spiritual battles is join forces with those that are also fighting the same fight. Strengthen them. Allow your numbers to add to theirs. Experience the grace that occurs when two or more are speaking of him and that he is there present with them. Build one another up because even though you are fighting the battles by day and fortifying by night, you can become weary. We see that with Antipas's men. You can become depressed in body and spirit from time to time just because you're working so hard. And it doesn't mean that anything has gone wrong. It just means that you need time to strengthen one another and for you to be strengthened and to prepare your defenses. And that's number five. Strengthen the strong who feel that they might be weak. And it looks like Helaman's army did just that. Maybe even for an entire year, it looks like. They strengthened and they fortified. And when the time was right, they then executed a plan to draw the Lamanite army out. And that plan was interesting. The army of Helaman led out. They were marching as if they were taking provisions to another stronghold of theirs. However, as the Lamanites marched against the young men, what they didn't know was that Antipas's army was then coming up in the rear. And that's our sixth point. Be the rearward of our youth. Know their names. 
Know their movements. Know what they're interested in. Let them lead out, but then be their safety nets. Train the youth to know who their true enemy is and then work with them. Surround that enemy until he no longer has power over any of you. Work with the youth to accomplish this goal. Antipas's army eventually needed the help of Helaman's sons. And if they hadn't been previously trained and equipped to meet that challenge, Antipas's army would have fallen. Our youth today are capable of reaching out. If given the chance, they just need the chance. And they just need you backing them up. Next is number seven. Don't be afraid to wait for more strength. Sometimes we aren't prepared to handle the spiritual battles. Sometimes we don't have all the right answers. And never is this a time in which we should act rash or give up the ground that we've already gained with our testimony or make deficits mean anything other than this is just a building up season. Waiting for more men, waiting for more provisions to come and then to strengthen us. And I know that this can feel vulnerable and it might even feel like you might perish. And I know that it can feel as if the enemy is innumerable and your grief and your fear and your doubts, they may start rising up. No matter how much you might want to go out and take back a a city that the Lamanites had taken, patience is what's required in this moment. And this can show you how you can handle your relationships or your contentions or your pride. These are the spiritual weak moments for us that are in need of fortification. So take a moment to hold the space that you've already gained and don't battle from a place of weakness. And another strategy, I think this is number eight, it's possible to starve out the enemy. We see that from the, from these warriors, from one city That is exactly what Helaman's army did. They just prevented the Lamanites from receiving strength, from receiving provisions that the Lamanites needed in order to survive. And the Lamanites eventually gave up the city. And that's exactly what we can do as well. We can starve out the bad habits that haunt us and weaken us by cutting off their lifelines. And this might be just as simple as a change of mindset, or it can be a new circle of friends, or changing the use of our time, or increasing in holy activities, whatever it is you need. Just know that the Lord's way can starve out the hold that the spiritual enemy that you're fighting against has upon you. If you replace it with him, don't leave it blank. Replace it with him. Next, and this goes along with that one, is Pour out your whole soul in prayer to God. Ask him for strength and deliverance. Ask him for strength to retain your testimony and the things that you know are going right in your life. Ask to see that. We never think about it, but do we need strength to keep up the good that we're already doing? We don't want to lose our ground. And then trust that he will answer you and then take notice. The sons of Helaman did just that. They rehearsed for Helaman what their mothers had taught them, and then they acted upon those teachings with full faith. Not just a hope that this works out, but with full faith. And the Lord did visit them. Isn't that cool? This is the wording of Nephi, remember, in his youth, when he had an experience with the Lord. Are our youth recognizing when the Lord visits them? Are you? And do we then take courage, noticing he's with us? We can go forth in full faith. 
The Lord visited these sons with assurance that he would deliver them. He spoke peace to their souls and he granted them great faith. And he caused these young men to hope that their deliverance was actually possible. And with all this working together, they took courage and had a determination to go and conquer their enemy. They believed that they could do the impossible because they had done the work already to connect and to partner up with God. And they didn't doubt. That's our last one. And what were the results of these warriors? The results were miracles. That's the best way to define it. The Lord was on their side, their trust in him. It allowed him to strengthen them beyond their natural abilities. And I think it's good to keep in mind, these boys had never fought before. And they were going up against those who had been trained all their life to do so. But they did this knowing who their real chief captain was. Though they had selected Helaman, they knew that the Lord was leading them. And time and time again, it was discovered that not one soul of theirs was lost. Isn't that a miracle? They fought with the strength of God. That's a miracle too. Even though they fought warriors that had been bred to fight and to hate them, God's strength was stronger. And though they were wounded and some fainted from the loss of blood, God's goodness protected them. What a miracle. And they were right. He couldn't suffer any of them to fall. And there was nothing that Helaman could contribute this to other than it was a miracle by God. Because the Lord loved these boys and he loved their exceeding faith. And the Lord, because he is just, he was bound because these boys didn't doubt him. Even when they could have been afraid, They doubted not. Instead, their minds were firm and they put all their trust in God. I could beat the bush, (laughs) but I'm going to end here. I'm going to end this episode here for today. I hope that you can draw your own conclusions today on which one of these 10 strategies you need to strengthen in your life so that you can fortify yourself and, and fight those spiritual battles as successfully as these boys did. And I hope you have a renewed confidence in what the Lord can do in your life if, if you followed the example of the sons of the anti-Nephi-Lehi's and doubted not. And after applying it to you, I hope that you can see the influence that the, these righteous youth had amongst their people and the possibility of our righteous youth amongst us. It wasn't easy, not for their families, not for their mortal minds, But they had done the work to put off the natural man and only desire God. And that's our work to do as well. And the lives of Helaman's sons should cause us to thirst after the same miracles that they received. And the same relationship that they had with their Redeemer. All right. Have a great week.